When I'm uncomfortable, I know I'm on the right track. And I know that's, that's not a great gauge for everybody, but it's a really helpful one to know if I'm uncomfortable, that's, I'm pointing in the right direction. It means I either need to do a shift. I need to do some thinking. So I didn't know anything about running a registered investment advisory firm. And nobody wrote books on this at the time. I read blogs and I studied other RIA firm models to understand how to start one. And I did this while I was eight months pregnant with my second child. From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. I'm grateful that you joined me today in the Sherpa's Cave. I've got a special guest for you, Stephanie Barnier. She's a certified financial planner and the CEO of Clear Sky Wealth. Stephanie is from, is, her business is located in San Diego, California, and I'm grateful that you joined me today. Thanks for being here, Stephanie. Oh, it's great to be here, Craig. I look forward to this conversation. It's going to be very insightful. In fact, I really... Uh, look forward to some of the insights you're going to be able to share with us today that will help inspire us on savings, investment, and, and business ownership. You know, speaking of business ownership, you might want to tell us a little bit about some of uh, how you were able to eventually, through your career, start your own, but where that seed started. Yeah, passion, is, it's played a really big role in my life uh, since since I was young. And and this might be the case for you and a lot of your listeners. And some advisors say, don't follow your passion. I cannot agree with that. And here, here's why. I started my career at Morgan Stanley. And at, at that time, I said to myself, one day I'll have my own, my own firm. I'll have my own registered investment advisory firm. I so you had this dream early on. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't think much of it then. Uh, but I planted the seed early on, and I didn't, I didn't think about it much going forward. And I believe when, when we're most uncomfortable in our lives, that's when we make changes. So uh, before I even started Morgan Stanley, investing wasn't a passion of mine. It was an interest of mine. And I was a, a little bit of a nerd. People wouldn't know it because I didn't talk about it. But I knew a lot about it in high school, investing, what makes a market and why. And my dad taught me a lot of it. And uh, <laughs> that's uh, no wonder why we get along. I remember growing up, my favorite thing was real estate. I learned it at the kitchen table from my father, and I always wanted to do that. And I became a real estate developer over the years, but not first. I started out in another career, but I always saw myself as a teenager in my mind's eye doing something. I didn't know what it was. So I wanted, I'm anxious to hear your teenage story here of how you developed this passion. Well, when we're young, we don't really think about what the impact it makes on us until we're older, uh, whether it's a, it's a parent or a teacher that have influenced us. And um, my dad is really into business. And I appreciate that because he, he taught me what a good company looks like when it's being run efficiently, what a niche is, what, how, what it means to 
um, keep your competition out because you're one of a kind. And so how did he teach you that? Did, by, just by example, or did he sit down and you have conversations about that? We talked about specific companies that were doing that and why their revenues were higher and why their sales were higher and their earnings per share uh, performed better quarter over quarter. Wow. <laughs> so I knew a little bit more about this than, than most people did. So it became almost second nature to me. I knew what to look for when it came to investing and efficiency with investing. And I didn't choose that path right away because a lot of the advice out there is, you know, follow, follow the money or follow where there's a job. Don't follow your passion. So my first job was in sales and marketing with KB Home right out of college. And uh, it was a time that the housing market was quite hot, similar to what it, what's look, what it looks like right now. And the home builders were, were booming then. And so I did work in that space. Uh, However, I felt and that, it's the easy step, right? But you have to get some experience somewhere. But the easy step is, hey, you can get a paycheck. Instead right. of go out into the unknown and hope that whatever you do brings a return. And I think that is a really, really great step to prove that yourself to yourself that I know what it takes to get a job. I know what it takes to earn a, earn a salary, have a 401k. Um, if you want me to tell you about my biggest mistake. I made with money. I can tell you on the show too. Okay, great. I can't wait to hear that. You can share it now if you'd like. I mean, I think now that you've teased us, let's hear it. Yeah. So that was my career, but I found myself going back to the investments and I would find myself at work online, looking at, at Yahoo Finance and doing things I probably shouldn't be doing um, at my job that I was working at first out of college, but it was a really great you, experience. You remind me, but I'm a lot older. I would go down to the Merrill Lynch office and sit in front of what they called the Quotron at the time and watch, look up different companies and watch the stock market trade because it wasn't didn't have CNBC on TV where you could watch. <laughs> the tickers are fun to watch, and I still watch them on CNBC from time to time, uh, but they are, they are fun to watch. So I kind of have an idea of what you're saying. <laughs> So you had this passion you were developing even while you were working selling real estate and that really helped you take the next step to college. Did you go to college and study or? Yeah, yeah. So I studied at the University of San Diego and, and played soccer there as well. I was really a, a focused kid uh, and I had um, a goal in mind and that was to play soccer on a scholarship and and be the best I can be and set records and, um, and graduate. But once I graduated, I didn't really have a plan. Uh, my plan was to play soccer. And, and that was really where the end of my vision uh, stopped. But the vision and holding the vision of playing on that green field, I'm from Phoenix, <laughs> how hot it is. I trained in the summers and it's 115 degrees. And I was so, uh, my heart so wanted to be on that on that, on that green surface and with that cool weather because I knew I could play at a, at a better level if the heat wasn't on my back so much. <laughs> <laughs> so you like, you like to, one, compete, and two, you like to perform. You, liked, you like a challenge. Yeah, and I like to push myself. And here's the thing. This is the one thing I have learned over the years and even when I played uh, soccer. So when I was competing with others, I was stuck at a level. I think competition is good 
when we're competing with others, we're only as good or, or maybe as good as that person we're competing against. So for me, when it comes to competition, it's more about staying in my game of skill and my game of focus and my zone of genius. And that's the competition now. Uh, and that was the competition in, in, in soccer as well. I'm, I'm six foot. I was a forward. I, I could score a lot of goals with on headers. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you powered uh, so, over. And not a lot of people had those, those, those three things there going for them. So to playing to your strengths is, is a, a genius way of, of competing. And I think that's more and more what we're seeing in sports. I know that for athletics, but also in business. So how'd you translate that into a career in finance, this drive, this passion to compete in what you know, meaning you don't really look at, and I love that. I love that you don't look at your competitors and say, hey, I'm looking to wipe them out because I think that's the wrong focus. In fact, I think Henry Ford said the, the best competition is that you improve yourself every day rather than try to take somebody else out. Yeah. And I, I think my, my honest belief is we're all here put on earth for a reason with a different skill set and a different blueprint for what we can deliver. Um, and it's our job as, as employees, as employers, as people to uncover that and let that shine. And that's my, you know, I, 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have said that to you. <laughs> <laughs> a few years of wisdom has... Um, Okay, so there's some hard knocks here and challenges. What were they like? I mean, so you started with Morgan Stanley out of eventually out of college, right? Yeah. And then you decided someday you would have your own. But what kind of led to that and what challenges did you face? I faced so many challenges. And I, when I'm uncomfortable, I know I'm on the right track. And I know that's, that's not a great gauge for everybody, but it's a really helpful one to know if I'm uncomfortable, that's, I'm pointing in the right direction. It means I either need to do a shift, I need to do some thinking. So I didn't know anything about running a registered investment advisory firm. And nobody wrote books on this at the time. I read blogs and I studied other RIA firm models to understand how to start one. And I did this while I was eight months pregnant with my second child. I started the firm when my son but was- You do like challenges. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I said, you know, I joke with my husband, like, what, you know, what were we thinking? However, when we're, when we're comfortable, we don't make changes. And I was in a situation where I needed to make a change. So, so you might, might be asking yourself, why didn't you wait? Like, why wouldn't you wait until your kids are a little bit older or at least like until your son finished nursing? <laughs> <laughs> and, and two reasons. I, I'm a person that builds an airplane the last 40% of it while it's flying. That's just the kind of person that I am. Right. And I ask myself to determine if I'm ready to move forward. If I'm ready to move forward, does it feel contractive to stay where I'm at right now? Do I feel suffocated? Do I feel tight? If I do, I need to move forward and take the next step. Right. And there's two different types of uncomfortable. One you just described, and that is I'm kind of stuck and I'm not happy and comfortable doing this. And then there's another, yeah, I realize my plane's only 60% built and I'm not sure how far off the ground it will get, but I'm willing to fly it. And, and you have that motivational discomfort where you take yourself kind of to an edge, but you know you're progressing. So there's two different types. And I think I like 
the one you focus on, and that is the one that takes you to the edge of progress. Yeah. And it's not comfortable, Craig. However, nobody has the exact formula and the exact answer. And, and that's what I realized is how if this person in business has done it so successfully, there is no way to replicate it exactly how that person has done it because that's their blueprint. They have figured out that method. It's our job to figure out having some structure in place is important. Right, some kind of secret formula. It's like the success of Coca-Cola is the original recipe, right? I mean, even Mm -hmm. when they tried new Coke, it didn't work. So, Mm -hmm. right, there is a certain formula to service or product or or, uh, whatever you choose to do in business. So I, I like that idea. So you, you jumped out on your own with this 60% built plane and figured it out. What were your biggest challenges that you faced? Hmm. So the biggest challenge at the time was a lack of sleep, uh, honestly. Um, and that might sound a little bit crazy. I don't know, if, you know, maybe some of you, you do know. <laughs> uh, babies don't sleep well. <laughs> Three months old. I hired a business mindset coach and my gosh, like how this has shifted and changes, changed my life. Uh, I remember telling her, I need to open my RIA in three months. Can you help me? She said, yes. And, <laughs> and well, okay, let's work on this. And I said, I can't, my baby's not sleeping. And the first thing we did is to work on how to get my baby to sleep. <laughs> and as she's coaching me through it, I honestly, I was rolling my eyes on the other end of the phone thinking, I need to open this business. And we're talking about how to get my baby to sleep. Mind you, she's a mother too as well. So she knows the importance of having to be able to clearly think uh, and how important it is for, for a child to sleep. So that was the first thing we worked on when I hired her. And um, it was the exercise of going through the process of getting to the result as quickly as possible. Do you have any tips on how to get a baby to sleep while we're at it? Did yeah. you learn something that we all need to know? <laughs> There's no special formula. Every child is different. <laughs> Good. We had four different experiences in our home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but here's the key to overcoming that challenge or any challenge is it's the key to success. And my key to success is to be coachable and use your intuition. That's, those are the only two things I have um, on my vision board, I, I have a, a number of other things on my vision board as well. Those are the two key focuses, be coachable and use my intuition. And so those don't seem to be a combination that's very compatible. No. No. When you think about it, people that go with their intuition say to the coach, I don't need you because I have a feeling of what I should do. So yes, I hear you, but I've got my own path. So how do you mix those two? That's kind of a great combination that I've, that's pretty rare. Um, being a soccer player my most, most of my life and sitting the bench because I played with girls that were two or three years older than me was humbling. (laughs) So there was always that room for improvement. There was always that room to, to, to push myself. So in a way I put myself in that situation and learned at a very, very young age. So you balance the intuition with, Hey, I know I have this instinct to go do this, but I don't know everything about it. So let me get some help along the way. Exactly. And being, being coachable also means just being curious, right? Being, being curious and, and learning new methods that work. 
And those two things balance me, balance me out where I may get the coaching. I get the coaching and then I dive into to the intuition and, and follow that gut instinct. And some people are like, how do you know intuition? What does that mean? And it really is that meaning of, of whether you have that, if you feel it in your gut, you, some people feel it in their solar plexus and their chest, like they just know the answer. And that's the next step. That's the next truth to their building their business. Oh, I, that's really cool. So were there some areas or niches you decided to <clears throat> focus on early in, in starting up your own investment advisory firm? Oh, that's a great, that's a great, um, great question. Because There is one that I do see that you have. You have a program called the Mindful Money Makeover. And yeah. I, I love the name. So if someone participates in that, what can they expect to receive in return? I mean, what benefits do they get for doing a Mindful Money Makeover? Uh, so one of the biggest challenges when you're an expert, and you maybe see this when in your business, Craig, is when you're an expert in your field and you know, you have a lot of tools in your toolbox, you know a lot of things. And my question was, what do people actually need to know in order to move forward with their money and get unstuck or get their money working for them? You don't need to be a mathematician or have your CFP or your CFA to build your wealth and be wealthy and do really well. So that was my question. So I did research. Again, you know, being very coachable and, and curious. I did research and asked over 35 self-employed women what they needed to over to, to when it comes to running their business, when it comes to being really effective with running their business, small business or a consulting business. And this was the best thing I ever did because it, it taught me what, what they needed so I could build a program that really served them. And did it take time to do this research? Yes but way less time than creating something that doesn't even work or isn't effective. Right. And that shows your passion to care about who you're going to serve and really understand their needs and their problems because it's in solving their problems that you come up with solutions and they can identify with. So I'm curious, what were some of the things you identified that were common among these uh, women business owners that really helped uh, you develop a program to serve their needs? Yeah. Um, one of the things that a lot, not all, some business owners are really adept at looking at money and looking at cash flow. One of those things is just what am I looking at when it comes to my profit and loss or my balance sheet or, or in my bank account? What am I, what am I looking for? So creating a simplified system, again, like simple so you can make your decisions of what your operating expenses are, what the profit is, what the revenue is, and how much you're paying yourself. And like, if you know those numbers, you know how to run your business. And it's really that simple. You know, I know you have an accounting background. There's a lot more detail in it. They don't need to be accountants. <laughs> no, please, it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> right? And now, me. Paralysis by analysis is what I say. We don't need any of that. I don't need you guys to be paralyzed. I need you to move forward with your business and know what it means to run a profitable business that you have cash flow at the end of each month. So that's um, so those are some of the things is how to look at the bank account, how to simply know how much money you're making. Right. Which direction are you going? And and then sometimes I think it's eye-opening to a business owner to realize one, their profits. 
And two, that they do have cash flow and that there are choices. They can reinvest some in the business and they can save some for themselves and set it aside. So how do you help them approach that? How to allocate yeah. what goes back into the business? Because when it's your business, you want to grow it and you want to make it as profitable as possible. And the way to do that is you leverage yourself by reinvesting, but you also have to have a balance of life has other destinies for us and it's not always work. So we have to set some aside. How do you approach that? Yeah, it's a really, you, you, you touched on this. It's a balanced approach because uh, rarely have I ever seen a company that has just spent money to grow, be successful in the long term. just spend, spend, spend to grow. Uh, it's one, it can lead to burnout and two, it can lead to being broke. And if the business owner is not taking care of their own financial well-being uh, and not doing the things to take care of themselves. Like it takes, it takes money if whatever your definition of well-being is, it takes money for me to go and get a massage, right? I, I need to take care of myself and, and to have those times of, of relaxation or take time off from the business and be able to rest. And those things take money. And so for to be sustainable, in business, that's a really important one. The business owner has to be taken care of. At the same time, the business needs to be taken care of as well as the employees. It's not just one focus or another, it's that balance you're talking about. I like that. You know, when I think about sustainability, just to grow, 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 and if that's your objective, and sometimes I wonder, we look in our country and we see we're measuring GDP and we're measuring growth, and it has to be growth. And if it's not, if, we're, if we didn't grow as much, then it's everyone's sad. I think it has to be the right kind of growth. And you said it, you can have a business that you're trying to grow and your objective is I'm growing it. And I've heard people tell me this, but Craig, I'm growing it so that it's big enough that I can sell. But what happens if you grow it out of business and never get that chance to sell? What do you have to fall back on if you put everything in one basket? So how do you teach people in your mindful money makeover, sorry, I wanted to call it something different, but I love that, that term. But the mindful money makeover, how do you help them determine percentages to what to put into savings and, and then how to invest? So those are all really important. Those are tactical pieces of it. How much to invest, how much to, to save. And one of the things that we start with is the, the mindset of money. And that's why it's called Mindful Money Makeover, that particular program, is because everybody knows your mindset when you're going into talk with a prospect, with a client. Everybody knows your money mindset before you even say anything. Your revenue leads that. So if you're trying to grow a business uh, to astronomical levels and sell it, if your money mindset is and that foundation isn't strong, or there are things that haven't been worked on, such as, oh, you know, I'm not deserving of money or, uh, or money's dirty. Those old stories or a fool in their money should soon be parted. I mean, we've heard all of them before. If we haven't cleaned those up, there's going to be a stumble, a fumble along the way in that process because, because the subconscious mind is, is unsure of, of that growth. So there's going to be blocks. Along so this process is not just a formula process they go through. It's trying to tackle how do you perceive money? Yeah, exactly. And the perception is everything. I, I read a book and that, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a, a, I know it's a dental 
um, advisor, advises dental practices, but he says he, he can give people the same formula, but some practices never get to the, I think it was called the million dollar practice, never get there because they don't feel they deserve the money. So how do you help people that feel like they don't deserve it? So we, we work with the we work with two energies, the feminine energy and the masculine. And the masculine energy is what we really know in business. And what we've been talking about is putting money away, the structures, the systems, the percentages, and the how-tos. And as, a, as business owners and as a country, we're really good at the outcomes and the results and the how-tos, which is very important in the masculine. But that balance goes back to the feminine energy as well as a really, and it is, people might be like, what are you talking about? It is such a key important piece because it's the unseen and the unseen becomes seen with the masculine energy and the results. So how we do that is through gratitude. It, it, it might sound nuts, and it's, but it, gratitude is the gateway to prosperity. Uh, being grateful for what we have now, what's in the bank account, uh, grateful when we write a check and we have these practices is that's what we teach. Forgiveness is a really big piece of it as well forgiving the money mistakes that we've made in the past. And uh, don't let me forget, Craig, to tell you about my biggest money mistake I made. Yeah, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to hold that. I'm not letting you go today without hearing that. <laughs> I find that very interesting because, you know, that counters a lot of culture in business. The, the forgiveness, the gratitude, we express it, but I think we try to automate it, send out the thank you mm -hmm. and the text or whatever. But you're talking about heartfelt, emotional adaptations, aren't you? Yeah, and noticing patterns, noticing where things show up, where we might sabotage situations around money um, and being aware. So it's awareness and the practices of those money awareness are the, are, are the gatekeepers to, to, to higher levels of wealth. Uh, with without burning ourselves out with, with that balance that we're talking about. Okay. And I've got to hear a story here about what how we sabotage ourselves. I mean, don't use names, please. But if you have an experience that's not your own, but that you want to share that you've maybe helped someone with, I want to hear wow. that because I think that's something I find a lot of people do. I know I do it and I'd, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so I'll share, I'll share two stories. One client in particular that um, um, always says, I lose money whenever I make an investment. I lose money when I always put money in the wrong time. I put money in, a, in even though they might be thinking about that uh, when they're doing it, their subconscious mind hears that. I make the wrong investments. Of course, I'm an advisor. I help them make the right investments. Right. <laughs> That's <laughs> why they them. call you, right? <laughs> right. Well, I always buy the real estate at the wrong time. or And so that message that they're saying to themselves becomes true. And they sabotage and they haven't reached the levels that they wanted to. And all the years that they've worked in business you know, has been in a way defeating for them as they share that with us. So that's one example of, of sabotage. Um, or if, when you get to a revenue level and then you get in a fight with your spouse or your partner or something of that nature, and um, it leads to you being sick for three weeks and you can't work, it's a form of sabotage as well. You know, we have these, um, these limits, you know, these upper limits so, when it comes to money and we all do. And recognizing them is the biggest 
key to the change. That's just what I was going to say, to be aware of it and to be able to detect or diagnose your own patterns of it. Then how do you turn that around? So let's say we figured out that I'm a sabotager. Let's say I just say every time I make an investment, I, you know, I, I think it's going to do okay. But in my mind, I go, you know, I've lost so much money in my life making investments. This one's probably not going to turn out too. How do I change that? So when the good ones happen and there are the right investments, we celebrate. And, and we, that is a way of telling our subconscious mind, ourselves, that we did something right and we want more of it. We oh. change the pattern by reward, rewarding ourselves. So it's a party time. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's a big component to uh, the feminine energy where people are like, celebrate. No, we got to get on to the next level of revenue, X, Y, Z. It's the biggest one that I've missed in my life and career is the celebration. And it's the one I focus the most on putting it on the calendar and celebrating, right? There's when you celebrate okay. no result, unless you over drink. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me there. I am not one to celebrate in any way. I mean, whether I drink or not, but I, you know, I, I, I'm just not a big celebrator. I had a sales manager one time say to me, you, you, we hit these goals and objectives. And I said, yeah. So <laughs> he said, I thought that would be your reaction. <laughs> so yeah, that's good. So we have to celebrate. We have to have, so what you're saying to overcome some of these barriers, you set the marker to recognize and you make sure that you not only recognize for a minute in your mind, but you do something physical to yeah. celebrate. Okay. Yeah. And it could be going out to lunch with a friend or a spouse or um, during the pandemic, there's been, you know, social distancing. So celebration looks like me going to lunch with my husband and I'm sending a picture to my teammates. Hey, like, this is how we're celebrating. Oh, okay. Success, and they share the same thing. And so how does that, you mentioned gratitude too. So does this celebration feed into the gratitude? Absolutely. It's like, <laughs> like rinse, repeat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're trying to keep that going. Focus on the positive, celebrate when you achieve. And so we do great. more of those, right? Like, and we're telling ourselves that message. And then it's also, you know, telling higher consciousness that message that this is what we want more of. And it, then that's how we break those old sabotage pro uh, cycles. That's interesting because, you know, if you're not uh, aware of that and, and you're not careful to set the right objectives, because if you set unrealistic objectives, you'll never have a chance to celebrate. So sometimes doesn't it have to start small? Yeah, you're right. Small win. You have a tenant that's paying top dollar. <laughs> Great. <laughs> celebrate that. I like that. Yeah. Or a tenant renews their lease, even though they told you they were looking elsewhere. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And that's all it takes is those little wins along the way. And it's um, in business, right? And nobody's going to give you a gold medal. And you may make a lot of money. Um, and you may be at the top of the mountain. But if you're not there celebrating with anybody at the, when the game is over and you don't have anybody around you, what's the point? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, what is the point? If you're there alone, right? Climb the ladder of success and it's leaning against the wrong wall because it's not, not what you wanted at the top. So great. You know, how do you market this, your business and this um, little niche that you have on the Mindful Money Makeover? Because I'm curious about that. Yeah, it's um, 
talking to people is the one way. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. I, I have a YouTube channel that I've... Okay, yeah. we're going to put it up and link it to this episode too so people can get introduced to that. Yeah, and Instagram as well is the other area where um, you know, marketing, uh, in all honesty, marketing <laughs> is <not laughs> my um, specialty. Uh, and uh, consult- using consultants is great. But what I've learned, if you're marketing a program such as this or anything that is super unique, you have to be really clear on, on the messages. So we've been working, creating those and drafting those and, and getting them out you know, as quickly as possible. When you're a small business owner, you tend to wear a lot of hats. And being a mom is really important to me. I, I chose both. Uh, a, a business owner, 50% of the time being a wife and mom, the other 50. So again, the balance is so important for me. I think that's admirable. So what do you do? I mean, how do you measure client satisfaction? Because I think people that go through your program or your clients and they have these successes and they celebrate those successes, aren't they more apt to tell others about that? Is Tell me a little bit about how you've grown your investment advisory firm then. Besides the YouTube channel and besides the marketing, because again, I think those are the masculine sides of the business. So let's go to the emotional side, which really is when people are happy and, and get value and mm-hmm. they get a, a change is made or a difference is made in their lives, they're happy to tell other people. So tell me a little bit about your experiences there. Yeah. So we ask them, I, I mean, as strange as that is, it's not in a survey, we ask them on, on Zoom or during a conversation of, of what's been, mo- if it's a program, what's been most impactful for you? What have you taken action on? Uh, what, what can we improve? So it, we really want that feedback because we want it to be as effective as possible. And some of the common themes is it's exactly what I need. It's not too much. It's not too little. Uh, the, you know, it wasn't totally foreign to me, but it was enough for me to be able to dive deeper. Um, worthiness comes up a lot, you know, a level of worthiness to ask for a meeting or to know that I'm worth the price or the, for the services that I'm offering and having faith in myself. So we want to know what folks are moving forward on. And even when it comes to their investments of what we, we focus on the, the goal and the money supporting the goal. So they have a goal of buying a house or retiring in 15 years. We're goal-oriented in this business. And we ask them, how do you feel now that you've reached this goal, that they're retiring? And we just let them share how they feel. They may feel great. They may feel lonely three months later and go back to consulting work. You know, um, So it's a people, human business. And and that's what we want to know about, about their experiences. What are you going for, through? And it also, the questions yeah, create their own awareness. And we're pretty personable people. So we like to think that uh, we keep it comfortable for them, but we really hold the space for them to uh, answer the question in, in entirety for themselves and not just for us. Well, you know, I was going to ask you the question, how do you build trust? But I think you've just explained that. You've taken it, you ask about it, and you mm-hmm. react and help them react and see, and you take an interest in their well-being, right? Yeah, exactly. I see that a lot with a lot of large money managers that advertise on TV. They show things like, I don't know, maybe a phrase, maybe I shouldn't use it, but life well-planned or you know, show people in their other uh, later years like I am, 
doing things that they have always wanted to do and now they can because they invested properly. Is that, I mean, that's an image we'd all like to attain, but how do you go about helping your clients do that? Yeah, so we measure, we measure how much risk they have to take in order to get to the goal that they wanna to get to. So it's a risk reward measurement and that's our starting place. We also work on the mindset along the way and ask questions. Nobody's mindset is wrong. How can, the question is, how can we open ourselves up to more abundance and more prosperity? And if we, if they already have that, how how can we create more gratitude uh, along that way? And, and, and being the coach, the one thing about being coachable is you tend to be able to coach uh, easily as well, because uh, you like I am aware of how I, I receive information and what's what feels good and what doesn't. So um, that's the foundation: is how much risk reward do we need? What's the risk reward? How much risk do they have to get to the other goal? Are they aware of that? And we explain that through through the financial planning process. Great. So, how do you focus your time on making the biggest difference possible in your clients' lives? Mm. We focus on the things that, that matter. <clears throat> well, Craig, <laughs> focus on the things that matter or, and that are closest to their hearts. And that's how we know we're making the biggest impact is are, are, they, are they directing money or goals or they're doing the things that they want to do? You know, I think a pandemic has really opened people's eyes. Like I've always want to go to Europe. Well, now you can't, so time to save, right? <laughs> right, like go to Europe. Like, so one of the biggest mistakes that I've made, and this isn't the one with my 401k, by the way. <laughs> we're going to get to that one. <laughs> I made with money is um, being too much of a money, uh, too much of a penny pincher in the past. And I actually have never shared this story before with anybody. I might do a YouTube video about it. Oh, good. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> so we heard it first here on the Biz Sherpa podcast. <laughs> it's hot off the press here. <laughs> uh, being too much of a money pin, a penny pincher, money pincher, uh, and focusing so much on the baskets. And, you know, there's a fire movement happening out there. And I, I might have had that mindset in the past, which is, you know, retire early. Financial independence, retire early is what is what the code, you know, the acronyms stand for. And um, what happens when we are so tight with money is that it doesn't leave, you know, we start to ration our shampoo, we start to ration <laughs> the gas in our car. Like it becomes such a focus, almost an obsession that we forget to take care of ourselves. If we can't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. And you can't pour from an empty cup. And that's a mindset empty cup. So I would say about eight years ago, I, I realized I had this, you know, I'm not, I'm not investing in my, in my mindset growth. I'm not investing. I was in this saving mode where I wasn't helping other people, which is really what I love to do. And starting a business isn't, isn't inexpensive at times, right? So you have to be able to let the reins go out. Uh, if you're really ready when you're ready for that growth. So that was one of my biggest money mistakes is, you know, um, being ultra conservative and saving too tightly where I wasn't 
living in abundance and open to prosperity. I was just focused on the penny pinching. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you see that if you read any financial columns or follow any websites and that there's always something about like you said, the fire movement um, and, and, or here's some ways to save. And it's, to me, it's always been uncomfortable. I've always felt that the, and I told an employee this one time, he said, you know, what kind of home should I buy? I'm getting ready to buy a home for my family. I said, buy one that pushes you, that's big enough, but that you really are pushing the edge so that you have the objective to make, to make more. And that doesn't sound very prudent, but really sometimes we need to really enjoy the fruits of, of what we've done uh, because as a CPA, I saw this too many times. I saw, unfortunately, and it was always the, the widow, not the widower that was coming to me. The widow would come to me where both she and her husband had been working their whole careers and saved up for the trip to Europe or the cruise around the world. And mm-hmm. now they lost their husband and were, and they had the funds, but they didn't have the fun. In other words, they lost a companion that they were working to do that with. And so some of it is you have to be able to enjoy along the way, right? Yeah. And there's just that, there's that middle point between, you know, and there's entitlement where you, you spend, spend, spend and think everything is owed to you. And then there's that scarcity mentality. And so it's that, it's that middle and it's that abundance mentality that I was really going for. And I find that a lot of my clients are going for that, you know, like-minded. That's great. I, I think that I love this abundance mentality. So now I'm really dying to hear what your greatest failure was. Okay, here it is. <laughs> I had a lot of experience right, understanding investments, how they work. I didn't know how 401k plans work where, right when I came out of school. You know, and investments, I, I took courses on it. However, retirement plans is a whole nother beast in itself. Uh, and there, there, when I graduated, this is going to sound crazy. Uh, the internet wasn't really everywhere. I had dial up in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't as much information and access to it. And I was working for a company, a publicly traded company. I didn't contribute to my 401k. I didn't get the match. I was saving a lot of money so that I could move to Europe. Maybe that's another podcast later. Oh, Um, I want to hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I was saving a lot of money. My rent was low. I was paying $400 a month. I didn't have any student loans. I I, I played on scholarships. So um, I, but I did have enough money to put into a 401k to at least get the match. And I didn't do that. And I would say that was my biggest um, you know, money mistake as a professional in this industry before I was even a professional in the industry that I made, you know, and I can only imagine that what I would have socked away that even if it was at dollars $40,000, you know, 18 years ago, you know, compound it, do the math, it'd be well, well over $150,000, So right. worth more than the trip, the trip to Europe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> there's my biggest money mistake that I made when I was younger, at least get the match if, you know, for anybody that's contributing. So let me guess if you have clients that have opportunity to do a 401k, your experience there makes you a better coach today though, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the thing that you hit it, right? Any mistake is an opportunity to learn from it and to, to for yourself, but also to coach others. 
I think that's great. So if you were to summarize in just a brief minute as we wrap up, what are your greatest keys to success that drive you each day that you feel bring you satisfaction when you go home at night in your other 50% role as wife and mother? What do you take away from the business besides the rewards at home, but what do you take away from the business interactions you've had? Mm. Did I ask questions that were meaningful to my clients and inspired them to take the next step with their goals to reaching their financial goals? And that is the one of the biggest, my biggest things each day. And when I go and I, I go into my introvert side in the investment world, <laughs> uh, and did I find the the opportunity, what opportunity is next for investing? Uh, where where is where are we not looking that uh, others are not looking? Which direction do we need to look at adding a percentage to? So I, I'm always staying curious in that space. There's always something to find. There's always a bull market somewhere, no matter where in the markets, the general mar- investment markets are going. Uh, so those are the two things, whether I'm talking with people or I'm doing my, um, my investment management. Your research. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, really, I'm grateful that you would take the time today. What I love about what you just said is <clears throat> it takes good interaction with someone who cares about you to ask you the right questions. You may not like to hear the question as the person being asked the question. And often I've seen in my life or in people that I've advised is asking that right question. There's not an immediate answer. And so sometimes you don't know if you've asked the right question and sometimes it takes time. And I've seen through the years where others have come back and said, you asked me this and I didn't know how to answer that. And I spent time reflecting and I went and did this as a result. And it makes a change and a difference in their life. And I think at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. The purpose of the question is to invoke thought and thoughtful change, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you nailed it. Great. Well, you embody that. I loved it today. I loved your taking the time to be with us. I love your bull market somewhere comment too, by the way, because I think it's often we think, well, it's it's getting high. It's it's dicey right now. I don't want to get in, but there's always opportunities out there and inefficiencies. But more importantly, I, I really appreciate you taking time to share your successes, your failures, and your passion. And I can tell you're passionate about what you do. I'm sure you're just a great blessing to your clients. And I think that's what we need to, as business owners, embody and remember is that if we're passionate about our product and service and we make a difference in people's lives, we not only have the satisfaction when we go home at night, but we also have other people who are happier. So I'm grateful that you'd spend the time today, Stephanie. Thanks for carving out this time to visit with us and share your insights. My pleasure. It was a joy. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, look forward to it. When you come to Phoenix, let me know. I sure will. (laughs) All right, great. Good to talk to you. Have a great day. Take care. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Thanks for joining me today for this episode. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. 
Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.